Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. This is a Meet the Educator episode, where we discuss one individual's journey and approach to medical education. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. I'm very excited to introduce Dr. Brian Good. Dr. Good was raised in the Northeast and attended the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. He then completed pediatrics residency at the University of Utah. After several years in private practice, he came back to the University of Utah for a career in academic medicine. Welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Good, let's go back to the beginning. You had the unique experience of attending medical school abroad. What was it like to study medicine in Ireland? I felt so lucky. Well, looking back on it, I felt really lucky. During the process, there was always this hovering notion that I didn't know how I was doing. I knew how I was doing in my class, I knew how I was doing, but I didn't know how I compared or how I would be viewed as an applicant for residencies. I wasn't sure I was gonna come back for residency in the US, but just, I wanted to keep my options open, and so that was always a concern. But being in that city, being in that historical environment and learning medicine really from the basis of history and physical without much focus on advanced testing was a really a part that I really wanted to be foundational for me. The other thing, the other part that I thought was really foundational and important to me was the the sense that the humanism that is innate to medicine in Ireland or is is innate to the culture there. And so I really wanted to to grow up medically in that environment. What was your clinical experience like? There? Yeah. It was very hierarchical. Um, med students were definitely not central to medical care there. And so any it really spoke to the need for initiative of students to meet patients, to do histories, and the more active you were, the more people understood that and the more you were engaged in the system. The system was not made to for student learning all that much. It provided a great, for me, it was access to an amazing environment. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, if, interestingly, that I th- still think about was the USMLE was not part of the curriculum in the sense of it was, the curriculum was to educate Irish doctors, right. not North American doctors. And so for us, it was something we did on a weekend. Actually, I took it in a pub, um, <laughs> and I took the USMLE in a pub, intermixed with everything else I was doing for my coursework. Mm-hmm. So, whereas now, I really, sadly, I think the whole curriculum is not maybe is focused on the USMLE, and there's this like cloud over the first couple of years of this USMLE where that was really I was really removed from that. Right. It sounds like it maybe alleviated some of that pressure and allowed you to focus on just becoming a good physician and building those history and physical skills. Yeah. Well, it was. It's, it definitely did. I was much more. I was nervous about it, but the class wasn't nervous about it. If that makes sense. And um, so it wasn't as much a part of my daily life. Just it was more internal than external. I guess the pressure of the USMLE. But I did. I loved the focus on the history and the physical exam and to come up with a very good differential diagnosis. It was an amazing environment to grow up in. Wow. More medically. So tell us how you ended up here in Utah after that training experience. Fascinatingly, and part of that, I I applied pretty broadly because I I didn't really have a strong guidance of people who knew the American system really well. And because of that, I I applied really broadly, uncertain of my standing and where I fit. And 
all throughout my interviews, I would kind of hear about other places. And I had applied to Utah, but hadn't heard back about my interview when I was in Dartmouth on my interview there. And for whatever reason, I stayed with a University of Utah graduate. And she said, you really, really should get out there. And by that time, my, my, my application or my interview date had been set, but it was my very last one, and it was actually after school started again in Dublin. And I did. I called the director, and I said, hey, honestly, I'm a foreign medical grad. Do I fit? And if I don't fit, I'm not going to come out. It's going to be a waste of money for me. But if you really think that I should come out and I'm a good candidate and not just like one of many, then I'll change my date. I'll change my flight. And it was great. He said, uh, can I call you back? And he called me back in like 10 minutes. And said, Would you please come? And I said, okay. So I was just trying to prioritize. And based on that, when I came out, certainly the focus on clinical care, the camaraderie was all very evident in the interview process. And, it, and plus the geography and the culture in, in the focus on kind of being outside and the opportunities to be outside were overwhelming. And what was your residency experience like? I, you know, I really, I look back on it so fondly. The, the, I feel, I look fondly more of the people that I was working and living and learning alongside. And looking back now, I still, I sit in meetings. I, uh, Sarah Lamb, mm. Danny Roussel, um, Adam Stevenson, all of us were in the same like couple years of intern year together. And Danny has since gone on to anesthesiology, but at the same time, it's really fun to think about just that time with all of us and so that it's funny that's how I think of it and I know the hospitals changed everything has changed since but those are the things that I take away in the the nice moments I feel what are some of those big changes that you notice from the time when you trained here to now well when you ask that I think I I, I go immediately to yes there's been tons of changes in clinical care right how we do things and I really I had no idea in coming to Utah the focus on value from the University of Utah and Intermountain Healthcare and what a very unique relationship they have mm-hmm. specifically regarding the primary children's had I known that I would have been much more excited to be here than I so I kind of backed into that um, which I'm very thankful for medical education I think has certainly changed I, I really like the voice that students have in their in their education we certainly use it a lot to guide our clerkship we use feedback mm-hmm. quite a bit to improve and I like that part of it I think that um, I really like the direction that the School of Medicine is going from a curricular standpoint. I think the core educator model is fantastic. And I like the departmental engagement with education as well. And so I'm really, I don't know, there's been a lot of really nice changes and I'm so excited to be a part of them. Yeah, that's exciting that you've got to see it evolve over time. So I want to fast forward to the time when you completed residency, you were in general pediatrics practice in the community, and then at some point you made a decision to come back to the academic hub. How did you decide to do that? Yeah, that's it, it was a really great question, and I, I'm, I'm glad you picked that out because I love talking about it. It was... I had been, and it's actually opposite from what you think. I, I didn't come back to academia. I, I, well, I did, but I, um, when all through residency, I had been working in a nonprofit that's based out of mm. Los Angeles, and I had I had been traveling down to Guatemala primarily during my residency to work in an underserved clinic, but through this nonprofit. 
And when I went through my, when I was in general practice in South Jordan, I really missed the ability to travel mm. and to, um, I don't know, be a, have a bigger footprint, a little, or what I felt was a bigger footprint. And I couldn't teach. As much as I love general practice, it wasn't, it didn't give me the, it didn't give me that outlet. And so I actually stopped general practice to volunteer full time. And so I, I stopped that career and I, that was my goal. And then I realized that I really wanted to, for whatever reason, I wanted to keep an academic, some, my, one of my feet in academia somehow. And I didn't know how to do that, but I really wanted to go volunteer more. And I walked into my old boss's office, Dr. Chris Maloney. Um, I didn't realize what a hospital, I knew what a hospitalist was, but I didn't know how it could really help me in terms of my career interests. And I walked in in shorts and like Birkenstocks <laughs> and, and I, I wasn't like, and he had, he viewed it very much as a job. A, like an interview, job, interview or, yeah, wow. And I, and I had no thoughts. I just was, just want to stop and just say, hey. And then, and he said, you're, you're hired. And I said, well, wait, wait, wait. I, thinking I need can I work here six months and then can I go away for six months and he said no and I said okay <laughs> and then he said well wait let's talk about that so we talked through it and that's how we did it so I was able to balance six months of nonprofit work with the six months of hospice work and so I, I made I got to fit his needs as like a half-time hospitalist sure. but it fit my needs of being able to be away for six months a year um, and I did that for a bunch of years and it wasn't until I picked up the clerkship that I actually s stopped that six months or at least a big bulk of my years being away, mm. a big month of my, big bulk of my time being away. And um, I don't know. So really, it was funny. I was aimed more toward global health and uh, my work abroad and less toward mm. academia. But the more I was here, and that's what Chris said in our interview, he's like, you're going you're gonna to love this and this is going to be part of your career. And I didn't realize. And then so more and more, I kept doing more and more. At that time, Dr. Stevenson was a clerkship director. And because of my training in Ireland, I really wanted, I felt that the students were missing out on bedside teaching. They were missing out on physical diagnosis. They were missing out on how to examine kids. And so I asked Adam if I could create a course. And he said, yeah, let's try it out. And so I did. I started creating this course, which has now been integrated in the clerkship. And it's this, it's this thing called Sign Rounds, where uh, an attending picks out patients that are really interesting and then has, and walks with students around and have them meet either the parents talk about a history or the kids see it or they do an exam, exam and the students come up and do an exam on a child to find a physical exam. And we try to relate that back to the differential diagnosis, to the pathophysiology of the disease very much like I learned in Ireland. And so it was sort of this seed of Irish learning here. And I'm really proud to say that that, was, that really took off. At first it was really rocky. And I'm thankful for all the students that uh, uh, gave me <laughs> feedback and made that better. But um, anyway, so that, that's how I got involved with student learning here. It wasn't as much a focus as I thought it was, but it was just something that during my six months back in the U.S., it was something mm -hmm. I could do to teach and keep myself. And how have students received those sign rounds? It seems like a really unique opportunity for them. Yeah, it's, it, it, that certainly has evolved in terms of as our class size has grown, it's been a little harder to, to have students have multiple experiences with it. Um, now, I, I don't know, proud or sad, they, they, the students get to experience it once in their 
six-week rotation, mm-hmm. whereas it had been two or even three times previously. And the feedback's always been really good. Uh, the things that I lament as an, an educator, not lament, but as, a, as an educator, I noticed that because we use the patients that are in the hospital, you can't quite predict what the lesson plan's gonna be. And sure. it takes a lot of prep to meet families, figure out what kids have and how to tie certain things together to make a cohesive hour for the students. And sometimes it's more successful than others. Sometimes kids go home that you had planned to teach right. or, um, I don't know, so it teaches a little bit of flexibility and things, but it's a it's a pretty neat opportunity. It sounds like a great opportunity for the clinicians that lead the rounds as well. Like I appreciate how overwhelming it is when things derail from the initial plan that you thought and just as an educator learning how to have that flexibility. Have you uh, what's the feedback you've gotten from the clinicians that lead the rounds? I would say flexibility is inherent to to medical care and to teaching, and it certainly brings that up, certainly for the students as well. I think this, from a faculty standpoint, the small group being with families, and as I mentioned, sometimes I really don't know what's what how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I don't, and so I'm really edgy bef- always before I teach that class, even though I've taught maybe I've taught topics before, but I don't know how families going to react, how kids are going to react, and universally students are pretty engaged you can see the light bulbs go off immediately with certain things and I think so it really whereas you don't see that as much you don't feel that as much in big lecture settings Mm -hmm. or big group settings and so if you it's a really great thing for an educator to get that feedback a the nervousness of starting I wonder if we can pull this off to be seeing the lights go off go on in students minds and think yeah and um, I just hope that it's I don't know, it's relevant and pertinent, but there's a lot of, ex- I would say that faculty likes it. And yeah. and just recently I did this week, I met with like the third group of attendings that I'm teaching how to, because I used to do it by myself. And now I've, now we're training like the third group of attendings to not take over, but at least share some of the workload. And then we are going to integrate it with our residents because I think it's a great opportunity for a residence as teacher's outlet sure. to, have the, to have the residents identify patients, talk to families, and create the lesson plans, and then have a, have a mentor right there. I think it's a, a powerful exercise in modeling vulnerability, too, and um, being able to go with the flow when the, the plan isn't you know, going as expected, and being able to debrief that with students as well. Like, oh, I'd planned to talk about this, but the family was really concerned about this other thing. And, you know, sometimes you just have to be able to let the conversation go where it goes. And um, I think especially when examining children, you never really know what to expect or what they'll be willing to do. So I I think it's a really interesting exercise in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's a smart point. I think I think there's one thing to talk about vulnerability and there's another thing to be vulnerable in front of students. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that educators that I admire are able to, to, to do that and have that humility to understand um, how important that is. And it's great for students to see it. Mm-hmm. So I want to focus on your time as clerkship director. And you've been in that role for seven, eight years now. Almost, is that yeah. right? How did you first come about that opportunity? What was the decision? process like so with this sign rounds and integrating that slowly into the clerkship the next thing that Adam asked was to rewrite the OSCEs at that time the the pediatricians we did have an OSCE and that he wanted to add some rigor to it 
So I created this really awesome, well, what I thought was a really <laughs> awesome OSCE. And I am so thankful for everyone who helped out with, it was this great five-station OSCE we wow. had that was really pertinent and included a simulated baby. <laughs> and um, and then, and I think through my experience with sign rounds and that, I think that, that I think someone recognized that I, that I maybe could, could do this job. Um, there were a lot of people interested at the time, and and I think Dr. Stevenson and Chris Maloney had a fairly decent process, and and they did they asked. Um, and there were a lot of good people, like really good, uh, able people who could have done so well too. And that for, I, I got selected, and it, it was fairly daunting to take over. I feel that Dr. Stevenson is wonderful mm-hmm. in what he does, and he's completely capable. Even now, I sit and listen to him, and I'm just amazed by his thought process and his ability to share ideas verbally in a way that really makes things understandable. Um, so I, I was really nervous because it's been, at least for me, it had been his role for years and mm-hmm. he'd been really done a really amazing job. And I was, I, not that I had doubt, but it was pretty big shoes to fill. So I was, I was kind of nervous about that. But thankfully to his mentorship and to the support of the whole department, people have been so good to help me and I don't know, create, to continue this clerkship that's had such a solid foundation. The, I would say the strongest part about it is, is the Glasgow team, which I cannot take any credit for, nor can Adam. I mean, it preceded all of us where there is a true, this and just the Glasgow team is an inpatient medical team where there are no interns and the students have a beeper and they get paged by nurses and they are fully integrated into their patient's care. They take full responsibility. And that has taken such a long time to get fully integrated into the fabric of Primary Children's Hospital that right now it's it's really stuck there really wonderfully. But I really, um, I would love to expand it to different parts of the medical school. Mm-hmm. But because it is so ingrained at Primary, it's hard to create that fresh you know that's I know that um, from a financial standpoint that attending is probably not as busy clinically right but is busier educationally and it's a great first step for like for the residents to become team leaders so I think not only from a med school standpoint from a resident standpoint it's a really great tool and I think that it's innovations like that that make the Pete's clerkship pretty special I think it's a very unique experience. There's not another clerkship at the university that I know of that has a similar model. And I think even nationally, there's not many institutions that are, are doing this. Um, so how how do the students like this rotation and what's their feedback been? Yeah, they. I, I am so thankful that I get feedback about the clerkship and about our work uh, every six weeks. And so I... Y- not universally, but I'd say most of the time the Glasgow team does very well because it gives students the opportunity to grow and thrive in an area where they see as their future. You know, maybe it's not peds, and I'm fine with that, but in terms of patient care responsibility. And so normally people really thrive on, thrive with that. I think that third years uh, struggle with the balance of... Well, there's a lot of struggles that come with third year. Uh, subjective grading, I think, is really challenging. But time management is tough. Trying to figure out how to, to how to know when to study, 
how to be a parent or how to be a partner mm -hmm. um, and how to pass your clerkship is really is, is hard. And do you do you emphasize the shelf or do you emphasize clinical learning and reading about your patient? And there's a lot of not distractions, but just there's a lot of different ways you could go and strategies. And so I think the Glasgow team, for people who are po focused on patient care and really excited about that part of their careers, they really embrace it and love it and they can thrive. I think it gets challenging when people start to, uh, to, to, to recognize the other barriers. Well, wait a minute, how do I do this well? Or how can I do that? How do I pass my shelf and take care of this patient to the best of their ability? And there's a, I understand there's conflict there, but, um, but primarily, uh, even though you, you need practice doing that because those are some career skills that you're gonna need down the road. And so yeah. I like providing this initial view into what that might be like for them down the road. And how do you coach a student through Glasgow who's struggling, who finds the experience to be overwhelming? What kinds of things have been helpful in there? Yeah, I, the faculty that, that run it, it's, it's our only, for a hospitalist, it's our only three-week block. And so it's a, a really, we focus on that so that the faculty member can be along with the student the whole time mm -hmm. and can see, so therefore, therefore their feedback is actually pays dividends and they can see growth. And the resident there is very invested, not only in the, the, the clinical care, but also with the students learning and they're, they're along with them. And so the better the students get, the, honestly, the less, the, the less challenge that the resident has, you know. And so I think that students, when they recognize they have this really strong support system, who really cares about them as individuals and cares about getting them better, I think it's really, it, it is something that students can, can really lean on and feel really good about, that they can, yeah, they can stretch, but they're supported in that stretch. And I think that's part of it. The other side would be maybe that's not the problem, and maybe there's a different problem that comes up, but by having the resident and the attending working together with the student and having a full three weeks where the student can like really work on things or uh, honestly, like blow it in the first little bit. Sure. It's it's nice to know that there's the same team that's going to be evaluating you the whole time, and so there's time to get better, and there's time to improve and work on those specific things. And so, I don't know that longitudinal experience, that investment in students' learning, and that support, I think, is really helpful. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Dr. Good. Tune in next time to find out more about his role as clerkship director, experience with the multi-center EPAC study, and perspectives on medical education in Guatemala. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas at teachingandmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter.